Hello, my name is Andrew Gomison, and I would like to welcome you to the Speaking for Him podcast. Thank you, as always, for taking the time to listen and grow with us as we continue on this journey that we call the Christian life. Right off the top, I just want to thank you for praying for me. As you can probably tell, my voice is much stronger this week, and my cold is a thing of the past. So I really thank you for praying. I had a very good time preaching at Camp Mishawana in Hastings, Michigan this past weekend. Very much want to thank them for their hospitality, and I look forward to the next time that I will be able to go there. It's kind of funny because it seems like every year that I go there, it rains, and so that's just one of those funny things that I will constantly file away in my memories. Maybe next year, I will be fortunate to go in the sun. I do think I've been in the sun once or twice, but it just seems like rain follows me there, and so that's just one of those things. I also want to thank you for praying about my wheelchair situation. I may or may not have mentioned on a previous podcast that I was struggling to get used to my new wheelchair and that there were some adjustments that needed to be made. Because of scheduling issues, it took me about three weeks from the time I made an appointment to actually get into the wheelchair adjustment place at Mary Freebed to adjust my chair. Um, but that was uh, a very successful. I want to give a shout out to my repair technician and also good friend and brother in Christ, Leo, for his work on that. You know, being a disabled person and needing people to do different types of work for me throughout my journey I know what it's like to work with people who are just doing a job versus people that really care about the people that they are working with. And I'm very thankful that Leo is one of the people who I get to work with who really cares about his job and it comes through in his work. So just wanted to give a very public shout out to Leo for his work at Mary Freebed. If you ever have to um, do some kind of wheelchair work, through Mary Freebed, request Leo, because he's great at what he does. All right, well, I'm excited about the podcast today, as always, and today we're going to go back to our series about the unique characteristics of Christianity. And, you know, today we're going to talk about identity, and there's a lot going around about identity in this day and age, particularly about the fact that people have different gender identities than their gender. And there's a variety of reasons why this could be, uh, things in their background or just other struggles they've been through. But I think the overall tenor of this is that without some moral grounding in our identity, we don't know where to go to find it. And so today, as we dig into the scriptures, we will be talking about where we as Christians Draw, draw our identity from and how we can be confident in who God made us and that he doesn't make mistakes. I'm very excited to dig into this with you. It's something that I have struggled with in the past, and I just hope that this conversation will be a blessing to you. But before we do that, I want to talk about what is going on. I was made aware this past week of a historic event that happened in the House of Representatives. There was a need for someone to fill the seat of a 
gentleman from Texas who left the U.S. House of Representatives via retirement. And so a special election was taken. And Maya Flores, the very first Mexican-born member of the House of Representatives, was sworn in. Will Representative-elect Flores and the members of the Texas delegation present themselves in the well. All members will rise, and the representative-elect will please raise her right hand. Do you solemnly swear that you will support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic, that you will bear true faith and allegiance to the same, that you take this obligation freely without any mental reservation or purpose of evasion, and that you will well and faithfully discharge the duties of the office on which you are about to enter. So help you God. Congratulations. You are now a member of the Honor If you didn't catch that at the end there, that was Nancy Pelosi saying you are now a member of the 117th Congress. So much congratulations to Maya Flores for making this jump to the House of Representatives and being the first Mexican-American to do so. And as I have read about her, it's been amazing to see that she is God-fearing, that she is conservative that she views the sanctity of human life as a priority, and that above all, she really is the epitome of the American dream. Some people in this day and age and in this culture say that we as Americans do not want other people to come over here. We do not want to welcome people from other lands. But that is simply not true. The reality is that America is a great place to be It's a land of opportunity, and we want as many people to come over here and experience that as possible. But we do have immigration laws, and I have said for a long time that our immigration laws do need work. But we need to quit passing the buck, and we need to get into Congress and really iron out a new uh, immigration law. Because I have seen firsthand how it has negatively affected couples that I know where one is a foreigner and one is an American. The fact that our immigration laws need work is not a reason to ignore them. So now I'd like to play you a clip of her being introduced to the Congress and also the speech she gave as she was inducted. I yield to the senior Texas Republican and my Ways and Means colleague, Mr. Brady. Thank you, Mr. Doggett. On this day in 1788, the United States Constitution was ratified, making that remarkable document the law of this land. And it began with those immortal words, we the people. So 234 years to the day after that call to create a more perfect union, the U.S. House of Representatives makes history today with the inspiring swearing in of the first Mexico-born member of Congress, Myra Flores of Texas. There is so much to be impressed with, with Myra. She was born and raised with humble beginnings in Burgos, Mexico. 
From a young age, her parents and grandparents raised her with strong conservative values, faith, family, and hard work. She came legally to the United States at six years old. And with the enthusiastic help of her father, she became a proud, naturalized American citizen. Growing up, Myra worked alongside her parents in the cotton fields in Memphis, Texas, to earn extra money for school supplies and clothes. With the support of her family, Myra graduated as a respiratory care practitioner and has worked ever since to care for the elderly and the disabled. She did serve on the front lines helping patients combat COVID-19 and remains every day an active member of her community in South Texas. She remains a firm believer in the American dream. It's a dream she's living and will always fight so that others can achieve it as she has. A proud wife and mother of four, her husband serves as a Border Patrol agent, the Rio Grande Valley, working to protect our country during an unprecedented border crisis. So on behalf of the entire Texas delegation, please welcome with me the United States Congress, the Honorable Myra Flores, her husband John, and their four beautiful children. Myra. Thank you. Madam Speaker, I rise today to give a voice to the voiceless, to say that the people who live and work in South Texas have had enough. We want to be heard, and we are tired of being treated like second-class citizens. I was born in Burgos, Tamaulipas, Mexico. Si, señor. (laughs) And raised with strong values to always put God and family first. My father, Saul Flores, moved us to the United States because of the promise of America. He told me, in this country, if you work hard, you can accomplish anything. My story proves he is right. But right now, our people are struggling. They are taken for granted. That ends now. And I'm here. I have risen... From working in the cotton fields to representing I have risen from working in the cotton fields to representing the community I love in the United States Congress, and I will give them a voice. I will use it to say our lives are not a game. Our people deserve to have opportunity, security, and freedom. And I will work every day to give it to them. I am a proud Border Patrol wife and a mother 
of four young children fighting for a better future for them and for all our children. Thank you, Madam Speaker. I yield back. I really, really loved that speech. Very short, very succinct, but very to the point. Here we have an individual who was born in Mexico, whose father brought her over here for greater opportunities, and someone who maximized those opportunities. I have long said that one of the key things to understanding the Declaration of Independence is that it talks about the pursuit of happiness, not the guarantee of happiness. And that may seem incidental, but it really is an important distinction that we must remember. Because this is a person who came to America not with the idea that America owed her anything, but with the idea that she could be anything she wanted if she put her mind to it. So she has put her life on the line in service to the disabled as a medical professional. And now she is putting her life on the line in the U.S. Congress to help others and to hopefully give a voice to the voiceless, as she said. The Bible says in Proverbs to plead the cause of the poor and needy. That is why I am so dedicated to the pro-life movement, incidentally, is that I believe that pleading the cause of the poor and needy is one of the most important things that we as believers can do. I'm super excited that this proves once again that the Republican Party is not just the party of old white men, but it is a party of diversity and opportunity. And I'm excited that she is someone who rejoiced on the day that Roe versus Wade was overturned because it meant more babies would have the right to life. So, Ms. Flores, I am praying for you as you go to Washington that you will maintain your high principles and moral ideas and that you will truly be a voice for the voiceless. Thank you so much. For the next story, we go to another layer in the ongoing gun debate. This time I have something positive to report, which is that a concerned citizen was able to stop a gunman in a shopping mall. And this is some of the response to that incident. His actions were nothing short of heroic. Many more people would have died last night if not for a responsible armed citizen. Police praising the heroic actions of a good guy with a gun who neutralized a deranged shooter at a mall in Indiana. It took Elijah Dickin just 15 seconds to take down the suspect, who just shot and killed three people and injured two others. The 22-year-old going toward and confronting the shooter who was trying to hide while ushering people to safety. But liberals say his actions were way out of line, arguing this hero should not even be called a good Samaritan. Oh, and then there's the ladies of the view. But with this Good Samaritan thing, listen, I was trained when I was at the Justice Department in firearms. And I was trained in defensive firearm training. Mm -hmm. It is very hard to hit a moving target. 
It is hard for people that are trained to hit a moving target. It is very lucky um, that that Good Samaritan hit that moving target in, in, in that way. And he wasn't. He had a gun permit, but he wasn't supposed to be in the mall with a gun. So he broke the he law, the even though he was a, even though he was a, a, a Good so Samaritan. You're saying no, 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 judges. He didn't break the law. He didn't break the law. They say in the mall they don't want you to have a gun. What law did he break? Right. He didn't break any law. What he did was he came to the defense of another person. I'm surprised at you, Sonny. You worked in the, for the Department of Justice. Okay? Here we go. Ideology is trumping the murder of innocent victims. They are so left that they say they want to believe that it's a horrible thing. And God forbid we call this person a good Samaritan who stops a mass shooter because he's a law-abiding guy with a permit for a gun, and she's upset that he stopped the killer. What is wrong with this picture? That's all I have to say. I don't, the there's nothing else to say. <laughs> the view. Do you, uh, you want a layup, Jessica? I'll ask you. Here's a layup opportunity. Is this guy a good Samaritan? Sure. He killed the mass shooter, who still managed to also kill three people before this happened, which is a pretty big deal. And we shouldn't lose focus on that. It does seem that he bought his guns legally. He bought them back in March. Um, he didn't have an adult record, but he did have a juvenile record. I don't know what role that could play going forward in terms of holding people back from getting the judges nodding along with me. So that's yeah. a good sign. Um, <laughs> but I think... What is important to not lose sight of, and this happens as new news stories roll in, then people push out the old ones. And this happens to, on both sides. And now it's a good, a good guy with a gun can help this. Two days ago, it was 400 trained cops let, you know, 20 kids die in classrooms while they were waiting around twiddling their thumbs and using hand sanitizer. Yeah, I wish this so, guy was in Uvalde. Oh, he sure, would have done maybe, it. He, if he wants to sign up and do a better job than those police officers, I would welcome him to do that. But... It still is a sorry reflection on the state of America that it is an average day that three people are murdered by someone. Yeah. We are lucky that someone took him out, but that doesn't mean that we don't have a tremendous gun problem in this country. Yeah, we are lucky. And I think they pulled this, Dana, and, and people trust a regular citizen with a gun, sometimes even more than police officers, because police officers, they're few and far between. Yeah. If there's a civilian right there during the shooting, they're going to be able to neutralize that shooter like that. And who were the the first people to call him a hero were the cops. Yep. Because it took 11 minutes after the 911 call for the police to get there. Exactly. First of all, consider this. And this is one of the first things, sadly, that went through my mind as we saw reports roll in a few weeks ago with the Uvalde school shooting was the fact that as this is unfolding, we have a situation where people are milling about outside the school and nobody is acting because they don't know when to go in. There was a serious lack of leadership on that day. Then we have a border patrol agent who is off duty, who goes into the school, who neutralizes the shooter. And I, I want to be accurate here, so I'm not a hundred percent sure, but I do believe he took out the shooter. Now, here is my issue with all of these gun stories is the fact that say the police went in and neutralized and took out the shooter immediately. My fear is that they would have said that the police 
took out a shooter or a potential shooter with potential and they shouldn't have acted that way. And I do believe that some of this goes into their thought process because if you'll recall several months back, there was a situation, I think it might have even been during 2020, I'm not exactly sure, but there was a situation where there was a young lady with a knife and she was charging a police officer and the police officer shot her. And again, I'm not sure if she was killed. I believe she might have been. But people said, well, why didn't you just wrestle the knife away from her? But the reality is that would be very difficult to do. I often chuckle if I watch British crime dramas because they often walk up to criminals and ask them to hand over a gun and the criminal always does. But that's not a situation that reflects well in reality. It does not happen that way. So in this particular situation, in this mall, we have a situation where a young man was carrying a concealed weapon and he was able to subdue the shooter and limit his damage to three killed and two injured. And lest they give him too much credit, the left is going on about how he was not, he was probably not properly trained and he shouldn't have been carrying a weapon in the mall because it was against the law. Judge Perraro, who's sitting there on this panel, points out that this was most likely not a breach of the law, but rather a breach of policy. This is kind of like scenarios we have discussed before on this podcast, where we need to be able to distinguish between policy and law. I think I talked about this in regards to Joe Kennedy, where he was basically told by the public school system, it's the law that you can't prey on the 50-yard line, when in fact it was not the law, it was in fact school policy, and we need to be willing to distinguish between policies and the law. Because here's the reality, the most dangerous place to be, I believe, as an American citizen, is in a gun-free zone. Because when you have a gun-free zone, you are basically telling the criminally-minded, you can come in here and you can shoot people with a gun and no one will be able to defend themselves because it's a gun-free zone. And this is where the logic of certain people falls apart because we need to be able to defend ourselves. And for those that say that the Second Amendment only applied because the weapon at hand was a musket, I submit to you that as the technology of weapons used against us excels, so should the technology of the weapons that we use in personal defense. Now, I personally will never use a gun because I am physically unable to do so, but I am very happy and gratified when people who are responsible, God-fearing people use their guns to ensure the safety of others around them. And I will stand up for that right as long as I can, because I believe it is an, an important function of liberty. Before we begin our discussion on identity, I want to share our quote of the day. 
Today's quote of the day comes from Kevin DeYoung, who says, One of the central motivations for holiness in the New Testament is to be who you are, to understand your identity and your union in Christ, and to live that way. And I really think this is a key to the whole discussion. As I said earlier, we are in an identity crisis in America where we don't know which way is up, we don't know what male and female means, and if we will get back to the bedrock truths of the Bible, that God made us, the gender that he made us, and in the birth order that he made us, and in the family that he made us, and with the limitations and the talents with which he made us all for a purpose, we will see a greater peace and a greater sense of identity. And as we embrace that identity, we will find our purpose. And so I hope that that will give you encouragement as we begin this all-important discussion. We now have a Supreme Court justice who is on record saying that she does not know what a woman is. And to me, that is a very serious thing. So how do we figure out what our identity is? Well, as a believer in Jesus Christ, we get our identity from none other than the Lord Jesus himself. And so I want to share with you um, five aspects of this and talk about identity. And the first aspect that I want to share with you is that we are made in his image. And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creepy thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. And that's Genesis one twenty six and 27. And this is really the starting point of it all, right? Because men and women were created as the crown jewel of creation. God creates all of creation and speaks it into existence. From the day and the night to the beasts that roam the earth. But then when he creates man, he creates him out of the dust of the ground. And when he creates women, he puts the man asleep takes his rib out, sews him back up, and creates a woman out of that rib. So God takes a hands-on approach to creating men and women. And it says that he created both male and female. He didn't make a mistake when he made you. So the the thing we need to realize uh, is that we are made in his image, male and female. That's the first point. The second point is that we are chosen. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in times past were not a people, but now are the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10. So in this passage, we see that we have been chosen by God. We are a royal priesthood and a peculiar people. 
That means we should not be afraid to do things that are countercultural. A lot of times, especially as young people, one of the things that we do, and I was guilty of this as well and still am to a degree, is that we have a desire to fit in. Who doesn't want to fit in? Let's, let's first of all be honest with ourselves. We all want to fit in. But what God is saying here is that we are a chosen people, we are a peculiar people, and so that if we stick out, if we are countercultural, that is why. Because we are called to a higher standard of living, we are called to a different standard of living than what the world endorses. And that can be difficult. That's why Paul said, all those who live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. It's because living a godly life has its costs and its sacrifices. And it's something that we should be aware of, but also, I believe, be grateful for. And I like the second part of this, where it says, who in time past were not a people, but now are the people of God. I'm sure there have been times in our lives, I know there has been for me, where I felt very insignificant and useless. But when I became a child of the king, I realized my worth. There's a song by Matthew West called Hello, My Name Is. And in that song, Matthew West talks about how we are children of the one true king. And if we doubt who we are, that's what we need to remember. And I hope that that will be a reminder for you. I hope that you will look up that song and embrace its message because it is a good one. As we continue on, we see that we are created for a specific purpose. God didn't just create you and leave you here with no purpose in mind. He has a purpose for you, and once you have been redeemed, then you can set about fulfilling the purpose for which God has called you. Ephesians 2.10 says it this way, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. And I love this verse because the verses preceding it talking about how we are saved by grace and not of works. And then it proceeds to tell us why we are saved. It's easy to sometimes get in a rut and feel like we're just saved for tomorrow. We're just saved for the future, for eternity, which is coming. And we just have to hang on until eternity. And that is not the reality. The reality is that God made you for a purpose. And if you are fulfilling that purpose, you can be fulfilled and be excited about who God made you in a way that you never have been before. Because again, God doesn't make mistakes. Every aspect of your life was planned before you were born. And there's a certain measure of relief in that. We have the gift of eternal life. Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. And that's John ten twenty seven and 28. And it goes on to say that no one shall pluck you out of my Father's hand. So there's a double layer. You're in his hand, and then his hand is in the Father's hand, and he says, no one will pluck you out. You are eternally secure if you are redeemed. And I think that's so important. I, I understand that there's a tendency 
to believe that there is an eternal security because there's so many people that have professed faith in Jesus who are not walking with him. But in 1 John, we are given this ammunition. They went out from us because they were not of us. And in our culture, I do believe that we have a problem of easy believism. When I worked at uh, the mission at Guiding Light, I saw certain people go down to the altar and pray the sinner's prayer over and over again, sometimes multiple times a week. It's not whether you pray the prayer, it's what you mean in your heart when you're praying and yielding to God. Because if you truly yield to God, he will change you. The Bible says, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Behold, the Bible says that if you yield your life to Christ, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And does God keep his promises? The answer is indeed yes. So I want to encourage you with that and to let you know that if you are discouraged, know that God is with you and that you can keep fighting the fight and knowing that he will continue to be there for you and to work in your life. He says that he who hath begun a good work in you will be faithful to complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. It's God's work. It's not ours. And then, for my final point, we are hid with Christ in God. We are hid with Christ in God. Colossians 3, 3 says, For you are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. I think this is so important to realize that our identity is not in what we accomplish here on earth. Uh, we're told by Jesus that if we lose our life for his sake in the Gospels, we will find it. And I don't think that's just talking about physical life. I know that as Jesus said this, he was talking to disciples, the majority of whom would be martyred. Uh, to our knowledge, tradition-wise, the only disciple that was not martyred was John the Apostle, and that was not through lack of trying. They boiled John in oil. They were unsuccessful at martyring him. But the other 11 apostles, Mathis included, I believe, were martyred for the sake of the gospel, as well as Paul, who was the least of the apostles, by his own admission. So there was definitely a physical cost to living for the kingdom, and there may well yet be that in America someday. But I think more than just the physical loss of life, Jesus is saying, if you give up your own pursuit of your own agenda to this life and you lose your life for me, you will find it. And I think that is true in my life. As I got off the throne of my life and allowed God to work in me, both to will and to do of his good pleasure, that's when things started happening. That's why we right now are about 11 weeks away from celebrating 10 years of God's faithfulness on the Speaking for Him podcast. Because when you get out of the way of God, He can do great and mighty things. And I hope these different aspects of identity were encouraging to you. 
I want you to know that if you know the Lord Jesus Christ, he knows you. The Bible says that he has counted the very hairs on your head, and he will do what is best for you. Will it always look good? No. Will it always be easy? No, because there are struggles. As I just said, the disciples were martyred for their faith in Christ. They lost their physical lives because of their faith in Christ. We may be called to do the same. I can guarantee you that if you are centered on doing God's will, you will be in the best place that you can possibly be when it comes to living an abundant and successful life. We just need to make sure that we get our definition of success from God and not from the world. Well, if you have enjoyed what I've had to share on today's podcast, I would encourage you to share it with your family and friends. Please let them know when and where to listen so that we can gain even more listeners. Please leave feedback with the contact information that's about to roll at the end of the show. Next week marks 10 weeks until we reach the official 10th anniversary of the podcast. As a matter of fact, I will be posting the 10th anniversary show on the very day that the first podcast was posted 10 years ago. So we will be sharing highlights from the previous 500 plus episodes in the lead up to this anniversary. So please let me know if there are any specific podcast episodes that you would like to hear from. Well, that's about all I have time for this week. Again, I hope that you are encouraged and that you will have a great week. And above all, I pray that you will keep serving the best of masters. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Your host has been Andrew Gomison, founder of Speaking for Him. For more information on today's show and to leave us comments and voicemails, visit speakingforhim.blogspot.com. You can find Andrew's ministry at speakingforhim.com. That's speaking, the number four, H-I-M. You can also interact with us at facebook.com slash speakingforhim and on Twitter at speakingforhim. And when you look for us on iTunes and Stitcher, let us know what you think of the podcast by leaving a rating and review.